It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. And now I'll, I'll give you the title to what I'm going to speak on. It's Distinct or Blurry. So, is that clear? <laughs> distinct or blurry. Distinct is such an interesting word. It's, a, it's from a Latin word that sounds really close to it. And the dis at the beginning of it means that there are two parts to it. There's two things. Like you divide something into two parts. Like discern means to make a distinction between two things. So this means, and it's really an interesting word, it means that there's two things, and the sting is a lot like our word sting. It's where we get our word sting. And it means to pierce with a sharp point. And it was originally used to distinguish between a new contract and the old contract that was that is now obsolete. And they took the old contract and they take a sharp point, an awl or something, and make a hole in it. And that's how they determined which one was old and which one was new. The old one was pierced. And just a thought on that, Jesus was born under the law. He's an old covenant guy, and he was pierced. And his piercing on the cross was the end of the old covenant. And it was the bringing in of the new covenant. But as things passed, starting around 1350 or 1400, right in that area, it came to mean, the word distinct came to mean unmistakably dissimilar, separate, and marked. Not necessarily by a, an all, but marked somehow. So it's somehow very noticeable that it's unmistakably dissimilar and separate and marked. So, in James 3, verse 12, he makes the comment that you can't pick olives off of a fig tree. And he also said that you can't pick figs off of a grapevine. So if you go and study how to identify trees, especially trees that have leaves, deciduous trees, there's about three or four ways that you can identify it. You can look at the leaves, and if you're really good, you can tell what kind of tree it is because of the leaves. If you're even better, you can tell what kind of leaf it is, or what kind of tree it is because of the bark. And if you're really good, you can tell what kind of tree it is by the flowers. But if you're like the most of us, we tell what kind of tree it is by the fruit. And if you see fruit growing on a tree, what can you assume? 
That's what kind of tree it is, right? If you see an orange growing on a pine tree, what can you assume? That there's a glitch. Somebody's, tr <laughs> somebody's trying to deceive you. Somebody's trying to deceive you. So Jesus said the same thing. You can tell a good tree from a bad tree by its fruit. He said that in Matthew 7, Matthew 12. We read it in Luke 6. Now, Isaiah 61. Who remembers when we, in, when we encounter Isaiah 61.1 in the New Testament? Right. He was sitting in the synagogue. He asked the synagogue leader to bring him the scroll. He opened the scroll to Isaiah 61.1, and he said... To a point, well, going back to the beginning, the Spirit of God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, so that they, and here's the key that we never really think about, this is the reason he did it all. So that they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified, that he might be glorified. So the whole reason, and he said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. That's a pretty stout statement to make in front of guys that want to kill you. And they tried, but they didn't make it that time. But that is the key that we might be trees of righteousness. So what does a tree of righteousness look like? It, it bears fruit of righteousness. And he said, so that he might be glorified. So one of the things that we find is that we have different ways of separating ourselves. We have different ways of distinguishing ourselves. And I'm going to go through some of the negative aspects of it first. We call them distinctives. I don't know if you've ever heard the term distinctives, but we have distinctives. We have doctrinal distinctives. We have an example of distinctives in 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul says, I would really like to talk to you guys like adults like Christian men and women, but I can only talk to you like babes in Christ because you've established some distinctives in your life. Some of you say, I am of Paul. Some of you say, I am of Apollos. Some say, I am of Cephas. And some of you say, I am of Christ. So they were distinguishing, distinguishing themselves by the names of other people that they were, that they were sitting under in their teaching. Today we say, oh, 
I'm a Baptist. I'm a Calvinist. I'm an Arminian. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Mennonite. I'm not a Mennonite. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm a Congregationalist. I'm not. <laughs> we have all these ways that we distinguish ourselves. We have doctrines that we hold to. Who knows what Ordo Salutis is? Ordo Salutis is a term, a Latin term, that means the order of salvation. And we have four major orders of salvation in Christendom today that set people apart and force division. But they're the distinctives that those people hold to. We have the Catholic one, the Baptist one, the Reformed one, and the, what would you call the other one? Arminian one? The Arminian one. And they're all, what order, do, what order does our salvation take place in? And some of them say, well, the first thing that has to, be hap has to happen is you have to be regenerated because until you're regenerated, you can't respond by faith. So you have to be regenerated before you can be saved because salvation takes a response by faith. You say, so I have to be born again before I can be born again? But then the other ones have different ideas. But each one is a distinctive. You can probably think of the distinctives that you yourself hold to, that you think make you right and everybody else wrong. We all have them, and we all have to deal with it because we're getting our significance from the wrong place. How about denominations or not? Well, we don't have denominations here. We have home churches. That's a distinctive. Well, we have denominations then. Well, that's a distinctive. Once you hold to something as a means that you point to of being significant, of being separate, of being noticed, it's a distinctive. We have styles. We have associations that we belong to. Oh, yeah, we went to Promise Keepers. That was really cool. You know, I'm a, I'm a Promise Keepers guy. Oh, really? Well, I'm a wild at heart type of guy. And, <laughs> and we've got these things. I really like Beth Moore. She's really got some neat ways of Bible study. That's what I do. Those are distinctives. Styles. I really like contemporary Christian music. Well, I really don't like contemporary Christian music. Two distinctives. I like hymns. I don't like hymns. Two more distinctives. Imitations. I was on a, on a train one time. This was a few years back when trains were the, a preferred way of travel. <laughs> and I met a young guy, just about the age of some of you guys here, who had a distinctive. He had watched videos and sat in the meetings where a now-fallen pastor, preacher, had taught him the right way to use his finger when he was talking. And, and I said, so you're a Christian, huh? And he says, yes, I am. Oh, I feel the preach coming on. And I thought, oh, there's this distinctive. He's, he really likes to imitate that style. 
Do you remember a guy named Samson? Who is Samson? Hmm? He was the guy with the long hair, right? Yeah, he was the guy with the long hair. Do you remember what he was? He was a judge in Israel. And he messed up. He messed up. He had this girlfriend named Delilah. And it says one evening while he was laying on her lap that she would braid his hair and say cool things to him, trying to convince him to tell her where her, his strength came from. And she had hidden away a bunch of Philistine guys. And so he would say, well, honey, I wasn't there, so I don't know if that's the way you pronounce it in, <laughs> in the language. But he'd say something to her about, well, it's because if you braid my seven locks of hair with fresh stripped bark, that, that, that's where it comes from. And so she thought, oh, okay, so I'm going to braid his hair with fresh stripped bark. So she did that. And she'd say, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumped up and killed all the Philistines. So she'd get another crew of Philistines out. And she'd say, Samson, you lied to me. And so he would tell her another idea. And after a while, she really got brokenhearted about it. And she said, Samson, you just keep lying. If you really loved me, you'd tell me and went on like this. You guys know how this works, right? <laughs> You've either done it or had it done to you. <laughs> you know how this works. And so finally he said, it's because of my long hair. And so he fell asleep. She shaved his head. And she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And what did he do? It says that he jumped up and shook himself as before. He imitated himself. While the, he, it says that the spirit left him, that he jumped up and he imitated himself as if he was still strong and full of the spirit. He imitated himself. He jumped up as before. They captured him plucked his eyes out, put him in captivity. So what was his distinctive that he claimed as his own, the thing that made him right? It was his strength. He imitated himself. He just thought, yeah, I'm good. I'm good to go. I'm, that's, that's it. He missed the fact that he was to be a tree of righteousness to give God glory. We have freedoms, we have traditions. You know, we think about the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Hmm? Jesus, right. So we have the Word of God in text, the Word of God in person, the Word of God in action, the Word of God in us. All these various types of Word of God, the Word of God through us to others. And Jesus, who you just told me was the Word of God, said... The traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. Are you comfortable with that? Are you going to go home from here and have Ellerslie traditions? Well, this is the way we always did it at Ellerslie. Hi, I'm, from, I'm home from Ellerslie. I'm here to help. We, 
We have traditions that are our distinctives. Sandy and I went to a Baptist church for a while, and whenever they got a special speaker in, he was introduced as a good Baptist. And I finally had to go to the pastor and say, Sir, I don't care if these guys are good Baptists. I want to know if they're men of God. We have modes and methods and means that are distinctives. We have practices and vocabularies and phrases. We have ways of communicating that nobody else can understand sometimes. You know, when we're talking to another pastor and we want to ask him how his church is going, he said, we say, well, how's your body functioning? People wonder what we're talking about. <laughs> Those are our distinctives. The way that we make ourselves different. We have politics. Well, I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. I don't care. One of the things that's kind of fun to do when you go into a Bible study, they'll say at the Bible study, and this isn't associated with the politics, you go into a Bible study and say, well, what does this portion of Scripture mean to you? Have you ever heard that? Well, frankly, I don't really care what it means to you. I want to know what God meant. I want to know what God meant. I don't care what it means to you. I do care if you know what God meant, and if you apply it, and if you understand it, and if you believe it, and if you act on it, I care about that, but I really don't care what it means to you. You can go to 40 different people and get 80 different meanings from it. Because it either means one thing, or it means how many? If, if the Word of God can mean more than one thing, how many things can it mean? as many distinctives as you want to draw from it. Not doctrines, but as many distinctives as you want to draw from it. We have culture and history and race and heritage. Have you ever, who knows what CBD is? Not cannabis oil. <laughs> Christian book distributors. <laughs> have you ever gone through there and noticed the Athletes Bible and the Black Bible and the Native American Bible and the Women's Bible and the Teenage Bible and the Previously Demon-Possessed Bible and <laughs> they have all of these Bibles. How many words of God are there? One. They must be adding something to be able to give it another name. Names, titles, degrees, training programs, Bible schools, seminaries. I asked a pastor friend of mine who asked me if I would uh, help him in some areas that he's having some issues with discipling his people. I asked him, you, you know in Philippians 3 where Paul says, and all these things I could boast about. Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised the eighth day, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, persecutor of the church, and the last one that he mentions is so awesome. With the righteousness according to the law, blameless. 
You think, he saw that as a negative thing. He says, I count that as a pile of dung, a pile of manure, all those things. And so I asked this guy, I said, if Paul was you, what would he have listed? What would he have listed? And he said, probably that I went to Bible school and went to seminary. I said, that's probably right. Does that mean that's what you list? He says, that's what I should list, but I haven't got there yet. That's an interesting thing for a pastor to esteem his seminary and Bible training to the point that it's his distinctive, the thing that sets him apart from his congregation. Leaders and authors and teachers and musicians and performers and actors and athletes are all distinctives that we like. We like the fact that there was two or three Christians who st said their stuff at the, the Olympics. That, that's important to us. We like that basketball player, player who points out that he was, what was his name? Strawberry. Uh, his last name was Strawberry. It's probably before a lot of you guys were born. <laughs> Dale. Is that what you said? Maybe, yeah, maybe Daryl Strawberry. He's a Christian guy. And he would go around and give testimony all over. And I can remember him coming back one time and saying, nobody ever responds to, to the testimony, to my sharing of the gospel. Nobody ever responds to it. Why? And happily, our pastor said, because they don't care about that. They don't care about you and your basketball. If somebody wants to know Jesus, that's what they want to hear. All the therapies and techniques and programs and movements and revelations and conferences and gatherings and systems and ministries, all of these distinctives that we have. A lot of times we'll expose ourselves when we give recommendations. Somebody will say, I'm having some problem in my marriage. Can, can you give me some ideas where to get some? Oh, yeah. Go to this place. Read this book. It's really good. Rather than giving the, them the answer. I had a pastor down in Belize one time who asked, he says, can you please help me? He says, I got a call from a church in Mexico to go and do a week of evangelistic meetings. Can you explain the gospel to me, how to share it, and what to say? Pretty interesting. What do you suppose his distinctive is? Probably not the word of God. Probably not the spirit of God. So we get all those things. These are all primarily things that we know, do, and say, kind of like the Old Testament, kind of like the Old Covenant. Jesus made it clear in John 4 when he was talking to the Samaritan lady, the woman at the well. She said, we say that we're supposed to worship in this mountain, and you say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And he says, woman, I tell you, 
that the hour is coming and now is when those who worship will not worship in that place or this place, but will worship in spirit and truth. In other words, in the Old Testament, it was an issue of doing the right thing at the right time at the right place. In the New Testament, it's an issue of, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And it says that the Father seeks those who worship in spirit and truth. That's pretty neat. Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So, here's the question for you. What are you noticed for? When they took note of them, that means that they noticed them. They noticed, oh, we remember, we used to see these guys with Jesus. That was the distinctive that they had. Wow, these guys, they know Jesus. So what do people notice about you? How do, what do you, what is your basis for significance? Is it Jesus or is it idolatry? That's a tough question. You think, well, there's got to be another option. Sorry, guys. There's not another option. So, a couple more questions. Who notices things? We have God and his hosts, because remember Jesus said, the Father seeks those who worship right. So we know that God is noticing stuff. Um, The church notices Paul taught, take note of those among you. The world notices, because remember in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks concerning the hope that lies within you. So the world notices And then the enemy notices. Remember Ephesians 3, verse 10, that the function of the church is to proclaim the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So we've got four noticers in our life. We've got God and his hosts. We've got the church, the world, and the enemy and his hosts. What are they going to notice? What are they going to notice? In Luke 13, 6 through 9, remember the guy complained to his gardener. He says, I've noticed that this tree does not bear fruit. What are we going to do about it? And the, what was the gardener's... Do you remember what Jesus called himself? He says, I am the vine keeper. He's the gardener guy. What did the gardener say he was going to do to the tree to help it bear fruit? Dig around it and pour what on it? Manure. 
That's what he's going to do. He's going to fertilize the tree. And then they agreed. And if after a year it doesn't bear fruit, we'll pull it out of the ground because it encumbers the ground. So we, we need to make sure that we are bearers of good fruit. And that we bear our fruit in season. So we have, I already mentioned 1 Peter 3.15, that hope is something that is a reasonable distinctive. Now, that verse happens to appear right in the middle of two chapter and a half portions of suffering for righteousness sake. Is there a reason that the hope shows out then? Because right in the middle of suffering, people don't expect hope. They expect you to be like them. Despairing. Fearful. And when our hope shows out, I have a, an elderly friend, even older than me, who I uh, Zoom with every week. He's 98 years old. He was a a college English professor, and very liberal. He was an atheist when we started talking, and he has now forsaken his atheism and believes that there is a God. He believes that Jesus died, but he believes that it's not for him, it's for everybody else that needs him, that he doesn't really need him, that he's a pretty good guy. But the thing that got it started early on was he told his wife, Make sure Dan calls me because I don't have any hope anymore. I've lost hope. It was right after the um, election in 2020. And he's, he's an expat. He lives in Belize. And he said, when I got online with him, he said, I don't know what to do. He says, I've never been without hope. It's been my first time in my life. And he's 98 years old, so he's 97 at that point. He says, it's the first time in my life that I haven't had hope. And he says, I just had to talk to you because you have hope and I need to ask you why. I thought, whoa, <laughs> how, how cool is that? That he noticed it. John 13, 35 says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So who's going to notice Everybody. What's the distinctive? Love. That's what sets us apart, that we love. Job 1. You like Job 1? There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, a perfect man and an upright man, and one who feared God. And God says, Satan, did you notice Job? And Satan says, yep. And God says, Try anything you want. He's mine. And he did that in, in Job 1.8 and in Job 2.3. You can go there and read it. It says that he was perfect, upright, and one who feared God. That's some distinctive to have. God noticed that you are perfect and upright and God-fearing. That's a pretty amazing thing. I wouldn't mind having God write that on my headstone. We already covered uh, John 4, 23 a little bit. 
with the woman at the well. In James, James says that you cannot pick olives from a fig tree. Before that, he says you ought not to let both cursing and blessing come out of your mouth because you cannot pick olives from a fig tree. So we're getting into some serious stuff here because you have the wrong distinctives, you're on the wrong path. You're on the wide path that leads to destruction. Now, what are the distinctives of the kingdom? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then the next phrase is so neat. He says, and things like this, and such things. So we can look at those. What are the such things? Such things as faith, hope, light, righteousness, every good work, praise, thankfulness, gratitude, undefendableness, endurance, humility, courage, boldness, the mind of Christ, the wisdom from above. Those are the things that set us apart in the eyes of the ones who need to see us rightly. Because all four of those noticers need to notice the right things about us. You'll notice, you may have noticed anyway, that the world is really good at identifying your hypocrisy. It identifies your hypocrisy much sooner than the church does. So we need to be careful. We need to make sure that there's not an issue of hypocrisy in our lives. Because the world notices it. And what's one of the favorite excuses that the world gives? Oh, it's a Christian church is a bunch of hypocrites. You know why they say that? Because it's true. It's true. We say, yeah, we believe in God. And I say, the demons also believe and tremble. <laughs> I may have, you may have heard one sometime about a guy named Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker, walker who walked across Niagara Falls. He was the first one to do it. He did it in 1859, I believe. 1,300 feet walking on a two-inch diameter rope, 197 feet above in the highest distance from the ground. And he had a, a uh, agent whose name was Harry Blondin. And so there's about 20,000 people there, 10 on each side, you know, the, the Niagara Falls that had Canadians on one side and Americans on one side. And Harry would get up there with his megaphone and say, who believes he can do this? And the first time that he said it, nobody raised their hand. So why were they there? What were they there to watch him do? Die. So he went across and he got a little camera out, a big camera, you know, the 1860s camera, and set it up in the middle of the rope, took pictures of the people on both sides, packed it back in his little backpack, and went across. And then he says, okay, he's going to go across. And he went across frontwards and backwards in his stocking feet, blindfolded, pushing a wheelbarrow, riding a bicycle. He went across 13 or 14 times altogether. And by the time they got to the last one, they said, who believes that he can do this? 
every hand went up. They all believed it. And Harry says, need a volunteer to go across on his back. Not one person volunteered. So, they believed, but they didn't have faith. Is that us? Are we unmistakably dissimilar, separate, and marked by the life of the pierced one in us? Now, the goal of this week long is that from here on out you're different. Our intention is not that you go home and be the same. It's that you go home and be a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. A few things are become new, right? No, all things are become new. All things are new. And all things are of God. So consider your distinctives. What is it that you adhere to and think and know and say that you use to give yourself significance and set yourself apart compared to what God does in your life when you die and he resurrects you to new life in Christ. He makes you unmistakably different. Ian Thomas is the guy who said, your life should be unexplainable apart from God living in you. There should be no other explanation for who you are. When God sees you, when the church sees you, when the world sees you, and when the enemy sees you, it should be the same thing. Ah, there's a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the blessing of this life that you have given to us. You said that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, that you've given us, actually even made us partakers of your divine nature. That you've granted us, granted us Christ, who is our life. That you have granted us the Holy Spirit that overflows in a river of life. And that you are life, and that the intention is that we know God and have eternal life. Lord, that our life would shine in such a way that it glorifies you as we go forth from here as trees of righteousness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.